0: If you want a healthy brain, you might want to look at what's on your plate. The brain takes up 20% of our energy resources. And the only way for our body to fill up our energy resources is with food, but not any kind of food. I was watching a documentary about how processed food is slowly but surely killing us. Yeah, (laughs) I know it's not really jovial, but it's a reality we're facing, especially in the Western world with all of that easy to access and practical packaged food. One segment talked about how synthesized aromas and chemical flavors negatively impact our health. There's definitely a strong link between our dietary patterns and our mental health. Nutrition matters. Instead of scaring ourselves out with the huge amount of information we can find online about nutrition, let's uncover the impact of nutrition on our mental health with a professional in this field. So for today's episode, I invited Dr. Jazz Robbins, a therapist and board-certified holistic nutritionist, but also an author, professor, public speaker, and stage performer. She's the CEO of the Los Angeles-based nonprofit Healing Hope and Love. She's an active, engaged member of several mental health and nutrition-focused professional organizations. What I particularly like and enjoy about her approach is that she fully understands and highlights the critical role of the healing properties and preventing benefits of proper nutrition to cultivate holistic wellness at an individual level. I'm actually very excited to learn more about the impact of nutrition on our God-given gift, our brain. If you want to let go of past pain, transcend your traumas, expand your consciousness, and reclaim your power to finally be the main character of your own conscious reality, as well as learning about conscious living, you're at the right place. Welcome to Conscious Matters. It's a safe space where we chat about conscious matters, focus on self-empowerment, awareness, holistic wellness, and sustainability. Join me, Melissa DiBieri, for inspiring conversations with myself and some of the most beautiful souls out there. We expand on our experiences and share what we learn along our healing journey to live in peace harmony and mindfulness on a daily basis oh and share with loved ones and don't forget to take five little seconds to review this podcast by just leaving a few stars and kind words that would really help with the algorithm so we can spread the message to help more people live consciously get your mind body and soul ready for a ride in consciousness namaste listeners hello dr jess hi how are you i'm good how are you I am doing well. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I'm very good. I'm very excited, to be honest, to have you on and to talk about nutrition and the impact of mental health. I'm looking forward to it. Let's dive into it right away. Yeah, There is so much information about nutrition out there, so much so that is very easy for us, not professionals to become confused or overwhelmed, paleo, keto, vegan, pescatarian, and so many other diets. But without the regular fluff of nutrition trends, could you tell us what is truly a healthy diet?
1: Yeah, I appreciate that question. And it's a difficult question to answer because of the information that's out there. So, the information that you're speaking about, it likely works for segments of the population, perhaps for a short period of time. But when we're talking about long term health and long term nutrition, that is super dependent on your individual biology. So, in other words, What's a, quote, healthy diet or a nutritious diet for a school age child is going to be different for someone who's a middle-aged adult. That's going to be different for someone who is in their geriatric years. And it's going to be even more different for someone who is an elite athlete, for instance. So maybe you've seen The Rock or... The swimmer, Michael Phelps. I haven't really seen Serena Williams talk about it, but these elite athletes oftentimes will post stories or things on social media talking about this is what I eat. And it's like, you know, massive amounts of calories. That's what their bodies need for optimal health because of the way that their bodies are functioning. So it's really on each of us individually to know something about our bodies and to as best we can clear the noise so that we are attending to our specific needs, paleo, keto... Again, they will work for some for a short period of time. They won't work for most throughout the lifespan. What a I child needs is going to be wildly different because they're still building their immune system. They are still building their prefrontal cortex and their brain function and their metabolisms are incredibly high. They need so much. Their bones are still growing. All of those things are to be considered when we're talking about a school-aged child or someone that's under the age of 25, for instance. Then when we're talking about individuals in their geriatric years, they're losing bone density. They may be losing even hair density. The skin is losing collagen. So that diet wants to optimize different things for that stage in life and for those health challenges, situations, and to promote healthy outcomes. And then right there in the middle, how sedentary am I? How active am I? What health challenges do I have? So so if I have diabetes, or if I have high blood pressure, or if I am battling cancer, or if I'm on the other side of any of those and I'm recovering for them, even still, my body needs something different than perhaps the individual who has no health concerns, who's living, let's say, a moderately active life. Perhaps they walk regularly, walk their pets, or something like that, versus someone who is vigorously active, even if they're not an elite athlete, but does weight. Lifting, strength training, or cardiovascular activity three or more times a week, their bodies are going to need something different. What I like to tell everybody at the base two big things. Number one is hydration. Hydration is critical for everyone, regardless of where you are on the lifespan and your trajectory. Without proper hydration, metabolism isn't moving the way that it needs to move. The gut is often stalled. We might be experiencing constipation. The gut is the house of the biggest immune system that our bodies have. And so we want to make sure that it has what it needs. And water, at the very least, it can have a huge impact if someone is experiencing the blues or any depressive symptoms. Oftentimes, the first thing I do with my clients is Just ask, what's your urine looking like? Are you fully hydrated? Are you drinking adequate water? The second thing is healthy fats. The brain is approximately 60% fat. So if you're not eating fat, then you're not feeding your brain. That's whether you are five years old or 65 years old. And healthy fats are, we're talking things like uh, fatty fish, salmon, trout, sardines, Or walnut. Yep, exactly. Even believe it or not, broccoli has vitamin K. Vitamin K is a precursor to the type of fat that the brain uses. So, broccoli is good. Avocado is good. Coconut, coconut oil is good. If we're not getting healthy fats, then our brains don't even have a chance to function optimally. So, Hydration and healthy fats are like the baseline where I like to get folks to to even just get started. And then we talk about veggies and then we talk about fruits and uh, things of that nature. But the challenge is because of bio-individuality, which just means that what works for me may not work for someone else and that is completely okay. And it could be that we have the exact same lifestyle, but what we don't have is the same parents. So what we don't have is the same genes. What we don't have, if this isn't my sibling, we probably didn't grow up eating the same things that laid the baseline for what my internal cells are doing. So by that, I mean, if I grew up on hot Cheetos and no diss on hot Cheetos, don't come for <laughs> me, Cheetos. But if I grew up eating that for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks for, you know, in my school lunches, my insides, Even though my outsides may look pristine, my insides look different and need something different than someone who grew up with parents that maybe had a garden and, you know, were eating from the garden every week or something like that. So yeah, I like to feed a person's insides because ultimately when the insides are great, we will feel it everywhere and it comes through on the outside as well. Skin is, is a huge, huge, huge indication that something's not right on the inside. That is true. That is true.
0: And how would you talk to people who have their palate educated with hot Cheetos and other type of things?
1: So I don't preach diets and I don't preach abstinence, you know, Moderation, moderation, moderation. And that's been said so many times before. Here's the thing if we love Oreos, Doritos, hot Cheetos, chocolate chip cookies, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. allow ourselves to have that thing and moderate how much of that thing we allow ourselves to have. And so that may be one day a week at the end of my week, like, oh, I got through my week. I'm going to enjoy my blank. The challenges because of the fast paced life that most individuals live, they've grown accustomed to grab and go, you know, eating in the car. Meals used to be like a, I won't go so far as to say a grand affair, but a pretty big deal. You had, it took time. It took time to prepare a meal, to do all of the things. And it was absolutely a time of community, even if it's just the family within a single household. And fast forward to today, you know, eating in front of the television, like the the Mm -hmm. time, it's so fast. It's so, so fast. Even if it's happening at home, it may have been something that was microwaved. It may have been something that was picked up from a restaurant on the way home. When we don't personally prepare meals for ourselves, we leave ourselves open to all kinds of ingredients and or chemicals and or preservatives and or things that may be doing harm to our body. We leave ourselves open open to those things coming in two concepts that are important to sort of like understand what's going on with the cells in our bodies. The biggest two are oxidation and inflammation. So oxidation, it's what happens to metal when you leave it in the rain, it rusts. So that rust that you see on the metal due to the rain or the moisture, that's oxidation. That's the oxidative process. Oxidation happens naturally to the cells in our bodies as a result of natural metabolism. It's called oxidative stress that's happening to the cells inside our body. What it looks like on the outside, it could look like fine lines, it could look like deep wrinkles, it could look like a loss of collagen. On the inside, it's having much more detrimental effect. If we do nothing else, we want to make certain that we are packing our diets with antioxidant foods because the oxidative stress is going to happen regardless. Mm. That is going to happen. So let us combat that by eating things that are antioxidant in nature. Those things, that is the rainbow of food. So what um, I love to say to my clients is the deeper the stain, the bigger the gain. So if a food stains your clothing, stains your fingers, stains your teeth, I'm like, yes, come on, oxidation. Come on, I am... Feeding the cells in my body and cells in our bodies absolutely love it. So we're talking about stuff like uh, blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, carrots, turmeric. Oh, goodness. Mm. Uh, you know, anything that like you want to be careful because it's going to stain your clothes. Those are great, great things for the cells in our bodies. And then inflammation. Inflammation is so important. This takes me back to your question about, What about the person who's, you know, living on Hot Cheetos and such? They may not see it, but it's causing inflammation in the body. So inflammation, if you've ever gotten a bee sting, a mosquito bite, stubbed your toe, nick, or a surface wound, and it feels warm around that spot, it may start to get a little red. It may uh, swell a little bit. That's inflammation. It's warm to the touch. That's inflammation. What's happening is the body is sending resources to that spot. Spot to start the healing process. Inside our cells, when we are living off of foods that contain things like red number 40, yellow number 67, you know these chemicals that we can't yeah. pronounce, those are causing scrapes, bruises, surface wounds to the cells and tissues inside our bodies. The body is going to send cholesterol to those spots because cholesterol is the healing mechanism. Fast forward when someone later in life experiences a heart disease or stroke or the doctor says, oh my goodness, you have high cholesterol. Most of the time, it's due to a diet that was really inflammatory. So now later in life, there's all of this cholesterol buildup because what the cholesterol, if you've ever seen a piece of furniture or wall that's been painted over and painted over and painted over and painted over and painted. And and it's like, let I mean, let's just get in there and chip this off and get back down to the wall and start fresh. So when your body is sending cholesterol to the spot, cholesterol sending it, sending it, sending it. Now this vein, this blood vessel that used to be, you know, clean, and clear, it's shrinking like this, because there's so much cholesterol that's been patched and patched and patched and patched for all of those spaces. So now we've got this tiny opening that should be like this, that our blood is able to get through. So what was used to save us and help us has become detrimental over the course of our lifespan. So that is the thing. Again, we can't see it and it's not going to be a challenge until later in life. But that's one of the big challenges or the big problems with eating a diet that's high in processed foods because the chemicals are scraping, bruising. I'm using those words just so that we can make sense of it. It's not exactly how it's happening, but it's causing inflammation in the body. The body is attempting to repair it. And in that attempt to repair it, if we don't clean up, it's just going to be like being painted over, painted over, painted over, painted over. So anti-inflammatory foods are another kinds of foods that we would want to eat. And a lot of times that's going to be leafy greens. Most of our vegetables, uh, some uh, beans and lentils are going to fit into that bucket as well.
0: Okay. And to get a little bit more specific, because you talked a bit about fat and the importance of fat in the brain. And I have this quote from Mia Nakamuli, which is an educator on TED Ed. She said, eating foods rich in fatty acids such as omega 3 and 6, nuts, seeds, fatty fish, in other words, good fat, is essential in the creation and maintenance of the brain cells membrane. But trans and saturated fats compromise brain health. So my question here is, how having a healthy Eating diet can drastically change how our brain works because you talk extensively and beautifully about the impact of the body itself. But if we get more specific about how the brain works and the impact of the food that we eat.
1: Mm-hmm. So the brain is... Like if we think of an airplane or an airport, there's air traffic control in the tower. That's like telling everybody when you can go to the tarmac, when you can take off, you need to wait, right? That's controlling all of this stuff that looks a little bit chaotic there at the airport on all of these landing strips is being controlled by air traffic control. The brain is the air traffic control for the body. For instance, when someone has had a stroke, um i remember my father specifically uh after his when he was in the hospital recovering He said, it was the strangest thing. I wanted to pick up my cell phone, but my arm wouldn't move. So he's sending the message, but the message, it's not getting to the place that it needs to go, right? So that's a challenge. The chemicals that send those messages, so it's like electricity that's happening in the brain, synapses, the chemicals that are sending those messages are called neurotransmitters. One in particular, acetylcholine, is the neurotransmitter that like, governs and helps learning and memory. So just for instance, when we're not getting the healthy fats, learning, memory, focus, concentration, those things are going to diminish because I'm not getting what I need for that neurotransmitter, for those synapses to fire, for those messages to be sent. For instance, right? We've got neurotransmitters that help us with motivation or help with calming, Recreational drugs, for instance, uh, are referred to as dope. They act on the dopamine centers of the brain. That's the center that-
0: Give that rush.
1: The rush, and it makes you want to act, hmm. do. It gives you motivation to do. So if we're- not feeding the brain properly. We're not getting adequate dopamine. So this may be equivalent to someone saying, I don't know, I just, mm, I don't feel like it. (laughs) Uh, I'm just so tired. And they're not talking about physical fatigue. They're talking about like, I just, I don't know. I I haven't felt like doing anything. I haven't felt like going anywhere. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Serotonin is the neurotransmitter that uh, promotes calming that promotes relaxation. So someone who's experiencing anxious symptoms or that feels panicky or worry, thoughts that are uh, consuming them, they may be lacking in serotonin. So we want to then put things on their plate that are gonna promote that so that they can experience those uh, calming sensations and calming, uh, calming feelings. Okay. And how do
0: we know which one does what? Because going back to the beginning when I asked the question about what is a healthy diet and you specifically said that it depends on our genes, our palate education, where we are in our life. Are we a young child? Are we an adult? Are we later on in the years? But how do we know? I mean, me particularly, I love digging into information. I love knowing. I love everything around wellness, especially holistic wellness. So I go and dig into that information. But a lot of people are not into <laughs> into it as much as I am. And they are busy with their own lives. but they still want to have a sense of health in their lives and often also in the kids if they have any. How can they have that essential information? You talked about hydration. You talked about healthy fats and also about oxidation and inflammation. But my question truly is, how can we make it so practical and much more simple for people to just know, okay, that list of ingredients is going to help me with the neurotransmitter that will increase my dopamine or my serotonin? hmm
1: yeah, so that's getting super, super granular, and a person would first have to know that they are lacking in a particular neurotransmitter or amino acid, for instance, and that's only achieved through full assessment with like a functional medicine doctor. But yeah. what I can share with you, starting with brain food, so what foods are good to optimize brain function? Um, and I'll just offer a few. I mentioned uh, fatty fish, so again, things like salmon trout albacore tuna herring sardines so the brain uses omega-3s to build brain and nerve cells and then these fats are essential for learning and memory as i stated low levels of omega-3s right on the other hand those can lead to impairments those can lead to things like depression blueberries is another one blueberries is just so Magical. incredible so amazing yes. <laughs> um They are anti-inflammatory and they're an antioxidant. Blueberries, they're packed with antioxidants. They actually help delay brain aging and they help to improve memory. So blueberries are absolutely incredible. Even if we can think back to when we were in grade school and being tested and all of these things, they used to say things like, or they still say things like, make sure you're hydrated, get a good night's sleep and eat brain food or a good breakfast, right? I'm like, well, what's that mean? What's a good breakfast? I don't know what that means, but this is what I'm having. But now fast forward all these years later, I there's so much science that stands behind those recommendations or suggestions, even though oftentimes in K through 12 settings, they don't get much more detailed than that, but there's so much science behind it. Turmeric, I mentioned. Turmeric, so that's the orange. That's the ingredient that if uh, anyone eats Indian food that gives it that bright orange color. It's curcumin. That's actually the active ingredient in turmeric and it boosts serotonin and dopamine, both of which help to improve mood. So turmeric, I like to put it in uh, teas in the winter. They even have like turmeric in a tea bag that you can get. So that's pretty good.
0: I never thought about putting it in my tea, to be honest. So thank you. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes,
1: yes. yes. I buy it fresh. Um, I buy turmeric and ginger fresh and I grind them in a juice Press them and yeah. I put that in my hot tea during the winter months. I'll show you that. Yeah, so good. Broccoli is another one that I mentioned. So again, it's high in vitamin K. It is an antioxidant. It's an anti-inflammatory. So vitamin K is essential for the forming of sphingolipids. And that's the type of fat that's densely packed inside the brain cells. So though broccoli isn't high in fat, it's high in the ingredient, vitamin K, that is needed to form the fat that is inside the brain cells. Okay. Pumpkin seeds, incredible. They're high in zinc. They're high in magnesium. They're high in copper. They're high in iron. So zinc is really critical and important for nerve signaling. So I talked about how the brain sends messages to the body. It's sending those messages through these nerve signals or these synapses or these electrical sort of like messages that are going. Zinc is absolutely critical for that process to be able to happen the way that it needs to deficiency of zinc that's been linked to depression it's been linked to brain disease things like Alzheimer's things like Parkinson's so those the messages aren't being sent right magnesium so that's essential for learning and memory copper helps to control the nerve signals that are going on in the brain and then low iron can lead to brain fog people who menstruate may notice that during the time when they are menstruating that time of the month you could notice all kinds of things right there's Hormone stuff that's going on, but also this loss of blood is equivalent to loss of iron, and that may be leading to brain fog. That may be leading to A you
0: darkness might- and clarity sometimes. Yes, yes, absolutely. yes, yes, mm. yeah, absolutely. My following question was actually the correlation between mental decline and the lack of micronutrients like mm-hmm. B6, B12 and, and different phallic acids. And mm-hmm. also the amounts of minerals that we're supposed to intake, like iron, zinc, copper and sodium. And you actually already answered. So that's. Like, <laughs> so <wonderful>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah, go ahead. Chocolate, chocolate, dark chocolate, dark chocolate specifically. So dark chocolate has um cacao it's got bioflavonoids those are going to be the things that give uh remember i talked about foods that have these deep rich colors so it's the bioflavonoids that give them the deep rich colors there's different ones for different colors dark chocolate has a bit of caffeine it's also an antioxidant so the flavonoids that are in dark chocolate they gather in the areas of the brain that deal with learning and memory so you can see that you know, even the brain foods that I've mentioned thus far, they oftentimes work in conjunction and concert with each other and much like a nutritional supplement. So, you know, I've had folks that say I took, let's say a vitamin C on Monday and I'm like, great. That was fantastic for those few hours on Monday, but to (laughs) sustain that level of vitamin C, you have to be doing it consistently. And so any of these things that I'm mentioning, I wouldn't say without having done a full assessment and knowing your history. This isn't a shopping list. This isn't intended to be prescriptive or a diet or a jazz set, right? But think about, oh my gosh, yes, I used to eat that and I haven't. Or I like those foods off of the brain foods list. So I'm going to incorporate that into, you know, my shopping list, my meal plan more often. I like for folks to just start thinking about that. A few other things on the brain food list. The Another one is going to be eggs, um, they can be a bit controversial. If you're going to bother with eggs, you definitely want to get pasteurized, but they have choline, they have folate, they have B vitamins. So choline is needed to create acetylcholine. Acetylcholine, that's that neurotransmitter that I talked about that helps to regulate mood. It helps to regulate learning and memory. And then when folate is low and B12 is low, both of those in deficiency are linked to depression. Green tea, is on our list for being a brain food. It's got polyphenols, it's got antioxidants. It helps to improve alertness. So it does have natural caffeine. It helps to improve performance for anyone who is active. Um, It can help to improve memory and it can help to improve focus. Green tea is not something that I would give to someone who's under the age of 18, but for an adult as a replacement to morning coffee, for instance, this would be a good option. It even contains L-theanine. So that's an amino acid that helps to relax and doesn't give you that like sluggish, tired feeling that you might on the opposite side of, say, if you took a five-hour energy or a Red Bull or something
0: like that. Yeah. Or even coffee. Or even coffee. Yeah. Yeah. I did that. Actually, I replaced the morning coffee with green tea. And when we think about hydration, which was your first advice, it also really helps with that. A hundred percent,
1: a hundred percent. And then the last one on my brain foods list that I love, I already mentioned it already, but uh, walnuts. The the lovely thing is a walnut looks like a brain, brain, right? So that's a good hint to tell us that it is uh, helpful for the brain. It's high in omega-3 fatty acids. There was a study that came out of UCLA in 2015 where they saw improvements in standardized test grades for folks who were eating walnuts consistently, again, this isn't. I had walnuts this morning. I'm going to go ace this test. That's not what the, <laughs> not
0: that's not we'll what eat this is. Though. Can't <laughs> right. Yeah. Um,
1: so those are some of my favorite foods that are that I would consider that are considered that not that I would consider that the research tells us support healthy, good brain function.
0: Thank you so much for this clarification. At least we have more practical information and in what we can buy to do what and try to see also what works with our own body. Because as you mentioned and stated perfectly at the beginning, it depends on our own genetics and how we are wired inside ourselves. So mm-hmm. thank for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I wanted also to talk about the different types Or the specific types of carbohydrates, so starch, sugar, and fiber, the ones that we eat, how can that affect our brain? Because we have a lot of information about sugar, but is there a good type of sugar? Is it a good type of carbs? Because we talked about healthy fats. So, Mm -hmm. what about carbohydrates?
1: Yes. So, if we think about macronutrients, there are only three. So a food in general, though a food may have a combination, but a food in general is either categorized as a protein, a carbohydrate, or a fat. That's it. So if we're talking about protein, most of the time, most of the time, I'm going to go with say a traditional diet. Most of the time when we're talking about a protein, this is animal flesh, things that people would generally consider as meat. However, what makes a protein a protein is a high concentration of amino acids. So we have a lot of plant protein, plants that have high protein naturally. Beans, edamame or garbanzo beans, for instance, lentils, things of that nature are naturally high in amino acids, which makes them high in protein too. Then let's jump to fat. So fat is oils. You asked about trans fats previously. So a good fat outside of something like an avocado, but if we're talking about cooking oils and things of that nature, a good fat is going to be liquid at room temperature. Mm. Most of the times, ghee, uh, G-H-E-E, which is natural animal fat is uh, solid at room temperature and it's actually a healthy fat. What makes a trans fat, a trans fat is they have through a chemical process made it liquid at room temperature so that it appears to be like a good fat. However, when it's ingested and goes into the body and activates with the rest of the chemicals inside the body, it changes back to its original form. So it trans, it's changing inside. Uh-huh. So if it's not a protein and it's not a fat, then that means that it's a carb. So that is all of our fruits. That's all of our vegetables, and those are the ones that we want to be that we want to be eating. High quality. I'll say that much. High quality carbohydrates are often on our calming foods list. So if anyone is experiencing anxiety, which is an umbrella term for a lot of things, it could show up as worry thoughts. It could show up as, you know, I have to turn the light on five and six times before I'm able to such and such or checking and rechecking to make sure that the iron is turned off or that the stove is turned off or, you know, these rituals or these routines or, oh my gosh, got a mosquito bite and that may be cancerous. So uh, that's sort of like hypochondriasis. When someone is plagued with anxiety of any kind, they could benefit hugely from eating a higher fiber diet. So fiber These are, and these are carbohydrates, right? And these are good, 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 good carbohydrates. Our body enjoys them. They offer a great deal of satiation in the gut. They make us feel full. And that's a part of that calming effect. But this is going to be things like beans, brown rice, berries, bran, pears, apples, bananas, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, carrots, artichokes, almonds, walnuts, oats, anything for the most part in that produce section is on this high fiber list. And what makes one more preferred to the body than the other is how much work your body has to do to break it down. So if you've got, pick your leafy green, cabbage, kale, spinach, or broccoli, whatever. I mean, just how much we have to chew to break it down. And then your body is doing even more to it to get the nutrients out of that versus a potato chip, number one, in terms of nutrient density, there isn't much in it. And all we have to do is look at the back of the bag to figure that out. So our teeth don't have to work as hard to chew a potato chip versus a carrot, for instance, right? The body doesn't have to work as hard to get what it needs to get out of it. So that potato chip is going to be in and out super, super fast, super quick versus cabbage and all of these other uh, veggies that I mentioned. Yes, those sit in the gut longer, keep us feeling full longer, the body is extracting, absorbing, doing all of the things that it needs to do to get those nutrients out. It's a longer process. That's how they tend to make that, that calming foods list.
0: Okay. And can you talk about the impact or the effect these foods have on the brain?
1: Um, Well, here's the thing is they're not giving the brain anything that the brain needs. So by default, they're not feeding the brain, right? Mm -hmm. They aren't nutrient dense. So we talked about some of the things that the brain needs. That's not coming to me in Oreos. I'm not getting that from chocolate chip cookies. I'm not getting that from a chip and dip. The brain isn't getting it. The brain isn't getting it. So if that is the bulk of my diet, by default, my brain isn't having the greatest chance to be successful and to really optimize and function like it needs to function because it's not getting what it needs. So as opposed to like, it's damaging, it's doing lots of damage in here. Lots of damage, lots of damage. That's the scrapes and the bruises left, right, and center. When we look at the ingredients and we're seeing all of those chemicals, never- Never in the history of humanity would a person take a cup of red number five and eat it by the spoonful, yellow number such and such, or any of the, you wouldn't, you wouldn't.
0: Facial flavors, yes. Yeah. Food coloring, like, no,
1: no, no, no. That would be incredibly hazardous. We would like have to get you rushed to the hospital because that would be like poison to the body. Somehow, because the amounts in soda and fruit drinks and punches and things of that nature are small, we believe that, oh, that's okay. That's okay. And if that is all that we're putting into our body, the body is completely inflamed completely inflamed. And the brain isn't getting what it needs because it's not in the Red Bull. It's not in the cookies. It's not in the chips. It's not in the Doritos. It isn't in those things. It's
0: empty of nutrients.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So later in life, I'm not saying that this is what it leads to. It could lead to brain diseases and disorders like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, if the brain has been void of nutrients for all of those years, for Do you not understand what I'm saying? That extended uh, period of time?
0: We think that is nothing because it's small amounts right now. And from the outside perspective, my body is not that terrible. And I look kind of healthy in a way, Mm. of course. But throughout time, things accumulate in the body, especially in the brain, in the heart. And that's the diseases that you mentioned, like Parkinson and other kind of brain injury, brain diseases. I was about Mm. sick injuries, but I guess (laughs) injuries in a way. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned the food that makes us feel good. And I wanted to talk to you about food and emotions because Mm -hmm. food is often used as a maladaptive copy mechanism or at least pattern to deal with mental health issues such as anxiety, like you mentioned as well, and depression because of that feeling of safety that food or comfort food can provide mm-hmm. and we even have these expressions eating your feelings or not eating because of your feelings so it's also something that i experienced myself in the past like having that sense of control or power over the type of food or the amount of food that you ingest usually synonym of eating disorders or just having like a restrictive diet for x and y reason so that to me, I believe, tell me if I'm wrong, it also triggers feelings of anxiety when you're using your food for something else. I mean, food is supposed to just give you the necessary nutrients for your brain and the rest of your body to function healthily. But when we start using food for different things to have some sense of control or because we feel like we have anxiety or depression and we use that as comfort and we, we tend to eat too much of the, air quote, wrong food, in both cases, there is a suffering that we're trying to alleviate through food. So can you please clarify that a little bit more or at least talk a little bit about emotions and food?
1: Yes. So Dr. Gabor Mate is a medical doctor who has a beautiful TED Talk on drug addiction. And I love the way that he conceptualizes uh, drug addiction. So two people can do a bump of cocaine or can try heroin. One may become addicted and the other may not. What dictates and determines who is going to be addicted? Well, we need to look behind that person at their history to to see who and how they've come to be the person that they are right now. So uh, Dr. Mate will says that he's had patients that describe their first hit of heroin as feeling like a warm hug. Here's my point. So for the individual who as a child, as an adolescent, while they were growing up, they didn't get that. Their lived experience was void of warmth, comfort, validation, that skin to skin that we need from our caregivers. When that person's life was missing that, the heroin fills that spot. So here's the thing. Not every person is an emotional eater. Not every person has the experience of, oh my goodness, I'm so sad, I need dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. So that is dictated again by sort of like their past and their history and their lived experience. Now let's take two emotional eaters side by side. They may not be reaching for the exact same thing in those moments of high stress or in those moments of feeling the blues. One may be reaching for something that's high fat. One may be reaching for something that is more salty. Oftentimes a craving is indicative of a nutrient that we are missing. If we just zoom out and take a look at that, right? You know what? I've been having a taste for dot, dot, dot. A lot of times that thing that we're having a taste for is the nutrient that our body is like, where's the iron? You just need some iron. My gosh, you haven't had any iron in forever. And we are looking for it in fried such and such.
0: But is there iron in that fried such and such?
1: There's iron in fried uh, beef livers, Right. So liver is high, high in iron. And because I'm from the South and everything we eat is fried, in my mind, I'm like, oh, God, fried livers would be so good right now. That's so be
0: funny because that's just like a full representation of what you said at the beginning, the way that we are raised and what we eat. Because when you said that and you made the correlation with having a craving and you said that to me, it was like, I will never, ever eat that. So, so that's very <laughs> interesting um, how our cravings can be so different from one another. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was just like mm-hmm. a, a forte for Yeah, me. yeah.
1: yeah. So now looking at the folks who are um, caught in that emotional eating cycle. So you asked a question about whether it's anxiety provoking. Anytime we get micro focused on what we're putting into our body, it can be anxiety provoking, whether that is I'm gonna cut out X, Y, Z, or I'm only going to eat, or I'm intermittent fasting, or I'm dot, 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 or I can only have, that's the control piece that you were talking about. And absolutely that can build anxiety and it interrupts our opportunity to have healthy relationships with the things that we put into our bodies. It becomes punitive. Oh, you know what? Shame on me. I didn't have this, or I didn't do that. So I can't have, right? And that isn't even healthy and helpful long-term. So finding a way to mend these broken relationships that we have with the foods that we put into our bodies is the best way to like long-term optimal overall health and certainly optimal mental health. Talking about food's that can help with the blues. I won't call it depression because not everybody will necessarily meet criteria for clinical depression, but foods that can, um, I just call them good mood foods that can help boost mood. Avocados is going to be one of them. And those again are one of our healthy fats. Kimchi. So there's on this list, there's kimchi, there's sauerkraut, and there's kombucha those three foods have something in common that is incredibly important for like the, that good mood benefit and that's fermented, fermentation. Other things that are good mood foods, banana, and we that was on our brain food list too. That was on our high five food list. Coffee is another one. And even oats. Oats is on that good mood food list. And here's the thing. When we're like in the funk or having a rotten day, and perhaps based off of what your family cooked and how you grew up, maybe you have had this experience, anyone, but the chances that you're like, oh, if I could just... You know, eat an avocado. I would. That's that's what I need right now is an avocado. Oh, you know what? Some oatmeal would be really nice. Perhaps again, maybe if oatmeal was something that you had in the home frequently, but most often than not, we find ourselves reaching for these extreme things. Ice cream is the thing that's made fun of all the time in television and film, or chips is another one. And again. You can see that the ice cream is high in fat, just like avocados are high in fat. It's just coming from a place that's not really going to give the body what it needs. And then chips are high in sodium. And it could be that we are in need of sodium or in need of potassium. There's a really delicate relationship between sodium and potassium that happens in the body. And perhaps a banana would be more sufficient. I don't know, you know, for each of those individuals but those are some things that if we were feeling a little bit bluesy that can help promote a good mood one thing that i like to say fermented foods plus 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 we can't go wrong
0: mood boosters food right right exactly do you think that as a society or at least western society we have a healthy relationship with food
1: Probably not. And unfortunately, a lot of it is a function of media and advertising. Yeah. So, media and advertising, there's money in people not feeling great about their bodies. That's an entire industry. There's an entire industry that thrives when I don't like myself, that thrives when I think I'm ugly, when I think I'm fat, when I think, you know, my skin is not favorable or whatever. An entire industry that thrives. So if there's money to be made in me not feeling my best, look at how things are marketed so that that continues to be perpetuated.
0: There's a whole other industry, maybe it will be more debatable, but of being sick, how much money some countries make on hospitals and people being sick. Mm -hmm. Even talking about different drugs and pharmaceuticals, right? But that's another conversation.
1: (laughs) (laughs) When I was in undergrad, I remember being like flabbergasted. It may have been Procter and Gamble, and I don't want to say brands because I may be saying. Though Procter and Gamble pretty much owns everything that's in the drugstore, but major conglomerate like Procter and Gamble owns these other brands that cause With the problem mm. and fix the problem. So in other words, they may own a snack food product that is wreaking havoc on the inside of our bodies, that is reducing the collagen in my skin, you know, what, whatever other thing that it's doing. And then they may also own a beauty brand like L'Oreal or Revlon or whatever that's like, Oh, this skin plumping serum or this. Th- so like they're making money on both ends. are money on so- both
0: ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I said, it's a whole other conversation because <laughs> if we get started here. We'll-
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge.
0: And we were talking about the serotonin neurotransmitter before in the brain, the one that plays a key role in body functions, such as mood and sleep, among Mm -hmm. many other. But is also created at 90% in the gastrointestinal tract. And can Mm -hmm. we talk about the gut as the second brain? You mentioned the gut twice, and every time Mm -hmm. I wanted to jump on that subject. But I think we have to have that one specific question about the gut as the second brain hmm
1: So functioning in the brain is uh, what's called the central nervous system. And then functioning in the gut is what's called the enteric nervous system. So the gut, and when I say gut, I'm speaking specifically small intestine, large intestine. However, the digestive system starts in the mouth, esophagus, stomach, small intestine, large intestine, and ultimately anus. In the gut, it is the home to millions, trillions of bacteria. And these are obviously microscopic, but if you were to put in a bowl all of the bacteria that reside in the gut, it would weigh three pounds. That is massive, 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 massive. Mm -hmm. Those bacteria that live in our gut on purpose keep us healthy. When everything is balanced, they keep us healthy. So in other words, they're fighting off pathogens That red number 40 and that yellow, it is putting it aside. And like those things are working hard all the time. When our gut bacteria are imbalanced, we can't be our healthiest because that is the immune system. That's it. That is the thing that keeps us standing, not literally standing up straight, but functioning as our best selves. Okay. If I'm having challenges with weight loss or weight management, do I have? Have an imbalance in the bacteria of my gut. If I'm having challenges with brain fog or with, uh, I just keep getting sore throats or I just keep getting uh, yeast infections, I just keep getting bladder infections, what's going on in the gut, right? It is a great place to start. The challenge with even figuring out what's happening in your gut is the testing that needs to be done it can be quite costly because it's not covered for folks who have uh, medical insurance and yeah insurance and so forth it's not covered because it's seen as preventive so this would be out of pocket tests that can be more on the expensive end but this is where we eat things like probiotics and prebiotics simply put we want to eat those fermented foods. We want to eat those fermented foods because this is a way to ingest right here on the fork, right here on the spoon, healthy bacteria that are going to go to the place where we need them to go to, to replenish and get back in balance. Yeah.
0: yeah. I love how, I mean, the brain to me is magical, but when you learn about the gut as well and how it influences every single part of your Absolutely. own body, it's mm-hmm. amazing. Like the the way our body is made is truly magical. It's incredible. It's incredible. Do you have simple daily habits that you do to be and act more consciously, like? For me,
1: I start my day intentionally with a thing. So I start my day with holiday music three hundred and sixty-five days a year. <laughs> I love that. me. I end my day by watching a comedy on whatever streaming service, probably something that I've seen a hundred times. I love BoJack Horseman. I love 30 Rock. I love Family Guy. I love American Dad. And when I like laugh out loud, I'm like, yep, now I can go to bed. That's I how I start my, day my yeah. yeah. So then when the big things happen, I don't feel it as much because I am always dumping into my going to take away from you whether
0: you like it or not. And let us know about the services you offer and where can we find you online?
1: Absolutely. So I offer training and coaching for individuals and corporations. My company is called The Active Experience and that is activeexperience.com. I can be found online, Instagram, Dot. J A Z R O B B I N S. So Dr. Jazz Robbins on Instagram. And yeah, I love chatting with people, answering questions, or facilitating trainings for individuals, organizations, or corporations.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Jazz, for all of the knowledge that you shared with us, the practicality as well. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) It was a pleasure. I enjoyed it. it. Thank you to have taken the time to listen to me talking about conscious living. Conscious Matters is a self-produced podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review, and ordinate. Your support will help to keep on raising the collective consciousness together. Take care and talk to you soon.